Excuse me, a little bit. I've got a bit of a cold this morning. Oh, no. uh, thanks. So I have to confess, this is not the first time I've preached a sermon. Uh, the first time I preached it, I have to admit there was a few mixed responses. There was hysterical laughter, uh, and almost ashamed to say, by the end of the sermon, the whole congregation had fallen asleep. Thankfully, that was Ezra my six-month-old son, and it was his nap time. So it's all right. And so I hope it, it's not nap time for any of you right now. So today we're continuing our series, Conversations with Jesus. Uh, the heart of which is to look at some of the conversations and encounters that we see Jesus had in the Bible, see how this reveals more of who Jesus is, what he came to accomplish, and who we are in him. Uh, this week, I'm continuing our venture into Luke chapter 7, So Mike started looking at the centurion whose slave was healed uh, last week. And this week we're going to be looking a little bit further along in that chapter, uh, from verse 36 to 50. And it'll be at the sinful woman's anointing of Jesus' feet. But I want to start with, what comes to mind when you think about encountering Jesus and having a conversation with him? Is it something that daunts you? Is it something that excites you? Do you think you would walk away changed? Do you think you would become different because of this encounter? These are the questions that I started to ponder and think about as I was asked to preach in this series. My thought process started along the lines of how poignant, how important these encounters are. And in my mind, they were quite big encounters and and life-changing. And I started to get really excited about the prospect of speaking on one of these. But suddenly I realised I wasn't actually seeing the whole picture. Though in them of themselves these were big events, they were also happened in everyday life. It wasn't like what we're looking at today wasn't a preach being given in a church or something like that. But actually it was, there was an informal element to it. It was in everyday life. And that's what I was missing. The majority of these encounters were happening during the routine of daily life. And I think this informal element is actually really important to not forget. And it can be very helpful for us. But we have to keep viewing it soberly and in balance with the rest of Scripture. As I thought about this, it reminded me of uh, the aspect of a relationship with God that we can easily miss. And that's, we were reminded last week of it when Linda brought the word about um, Arthur running to James and just wanting to be with him uh, and spend time with him. And I, I think... Sometimes we can miss just being with God. We can put a formality to it. And we can... I thought James was just coming to be with me then, but (laughs) who knows. Um, But actually, we get to be with God as a son would with a father, which is so important. We need to maintain the balance of seeing God as all-powerful, as holy, as mighty. Yet we must remember he also calls us sons and daughters. And he wants to commune with us in an intimate way. My thoughts went back to the beginning of the Bible and to the Garden of Eden. There it talks about God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. I can imagine they had conversation together in this time. It wasn't intense, or at least I imagine it wasn't intense at all. We can sometimes think about encounters with God have to be intense. But in my mind, the phrase, walking with God in the cool of the day makes you think of words like intimate, friendly, no hidden agenda, 
just being together. What comes to your mind if you were to think of walking with God in the cool of the day? Walking with him in everyday life? So as you ponder that, can you pick up your Bibles and turn to Luke 7, verse 26 to 50, and we'll read the passage together. So it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This is Jesus who was asked. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Probably should use the other mic. <laughs> a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the first person we come in across in this passage is the Pharisee named Simon. And he invites Jesus to come and eat with him. This is actually a bit of a shock. If we turn back just a few verses to verse 30 and then 33 to 34, you'll see why. So verse 30 says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for, for themselves, not having been baptised by him. And verse 33 and 34, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So firstly, we see that the Pharisees, and Simon being one of them, had rejected the purposes of God by not being baptised by John. So if Simon has rejected God's purposes, why would he have wanted to spend time with Jesus? Secondly, why would Simon, important again that he's a Pharisee, Pharisees care very much about public appearance and how they appear to others and the appearance of being holy. So why would a Pharisee want to be associated with someone with a bad reputation? Why would he want to be seen dining with him? And this meal would have been a public affair. Why would a Pharisee want to be known as spending time with a glutton, a drunkard and a friend of sinners? For some of us, reputation can be a big thing and for others, not even think about it. I think it would be true to say that most of us 
wouldn't want a bad reputation, though, whether we deserved it or not. Imagine if people thought of you as being a drunkard, a substance abuser, a liar, a glutton, or someone who has fallen in with the wrong crowd of troublemakers. How would that make you feel? Would it make you examine your life? Why do people think of me this way? How can I get rid of this view of me? Should I get, try and get rid of it? The reality is, the church, in doing what we are called to do, may well end up in situations where people misread what we're doing and give us a bad reputation. But should that stop us from doing what we're called to by God? This is what happened to Jesus. And yet Jesus doesn't change what he's doing so people might think better of him. He's confident in who he is, who has sent him, and what he's here to do. So rather than focus on the reputation that he's been given by people, he keeps his eyes on the prize, the reason why he's come, to rescue the lost, to rescue us. So it's a bit of a shock that a Pharisee, a religious leader, would want to proactively spend time with someone with this kind of reputation. It's hard to answer why without speculation, that maybe Jesus had sparked Simon's curiosity. Maybe Simon wanted to find out more about him. Maybe Simon wanted to try and catch him out with something Jesus was saying. But Simon did invite Jesus round to eat with him, and Jesus accepted his invitation. The guests at this meal would have reclined on couches, lying down on their left side with their feet away from the table and taking food with their right hands. A meal like this would have been an open affair, so people could come in and watch. And this is how our next important character is introduced to the story. And she is known as the woman of the city who was a sinner. This woman had heard that Jesus was reclining at Simon's house. And she decided that she wanted to go to the house to enter it and find Jesus. And she brought with her an alabaster jar of ointment. Now, this was most unexpected, as this woman is known to be a sinner. She may have even been a prostitute. In fact, this is likely from the way she is described. And she would not have been welcome at all in the home of the Pharisee. So it would have taken a tremendous amount of courage for her to step into that house. This woman had come, though, to honour Jesus in an extravagant manner, as we've already read. She wasn't caring about the rules of society and what others might think. They didn't hold her back. But as a deliberate intention to honour Jesus in an exuberant act of worship. How often do we come to intentionally honour Jesus exuberantly in worship? This woman had encountered him in such a way that that was her sincere response. How often do we come ready to abandon all in worship to God? And she came prepared. She had the ointment with her. We'll come back to this in a bit. But she brought with her an alabaster jar of ointment to anoint Jesus. This was something that you might do to an honoured guest. Being an alabaster jar would mean that it likely contained some very expensive perfume. And her intent was to anoint Jesus with its contents. This is in contrast to Simon, who although he went to the effort of inviting Jesus to his household for food, he didn't actually honour Jesus as a special guest appropriate to the customs of the time. In Jewish culture, a guest could expect on arrival to have their feet washed by a servant. They could expect to be greeted by a kiss. And a special guest could even be expected to have their head anointed with oil. 
Yet Simon chose to neglect these rituals for Jesus. But the sinful woman takes each of these to the nth degree. We don't know if the sinful woman intended to anoint his head or his feet, but it would appear that while standing by Jesus' feet, because Jesus was reclining at the table, remember, she was overcome with emotion and broke down weeping, with tears wetting Jesus' feet. She then proceeded to use her hair to wipe his feet and then anointed them with perfume and kissed them. It's quite extreme, isn't it? I can't imagine myself ever being in that place of uh, wiping someone's feet with my hair. But <laughs> I won't make comments about anyone else's hair. But it's exuberant, isn't it? It's passionate. But it was true. It wasn't enough. Yes, there was emotional in it, but it was a sincere, sincere response to what. To Jesus, to her encounter with Jesus. So we have to say then, what exactly caused the extravagant act to take place? Once again, we can't speculate, or rather, we can only speculate, to be the better way of putting that, because we don't know. We honestly don't know. <laughs> she was, so, when she was standing at Jesus' feet, his feet would have been bare, she was near them. Could she tell that his feet were still dirty? Could she tell that this person who she had come to honour hadn't been honoured as a proper guest? Could it be that in his presence she was more aware of his holiness and ever more of her sin? Had she heard Jesus talking before to the crowds or had she had a personal encounter with him before? Does, did she already know that her sins had been forgiven? And that he was her saviour. We don't actually know the answer to these questions. But whatever the cause, it had been a life-changing moment or event that brought her to this place of all-out worship. Coming back to one of my earlier questions, what do, you, what do you imagine an encounter with Jesus would be like? We come here on a Sunday to encounter him. Let's remember that she came prepared to encounter him. Are we coming prepared to encounter Jesus when we come? Meanwhile, Simon, all too aware of this woman being a sinner, caused judgment on Jesus and said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon, as a Pharisee, could not have imagined a woman who is a sinner touching him let alone anointing his feet. Yet Jesus was fine with this. This was enough in Simon's view to prove that Jesus wasn't a prophet. Surely he would have known that she was a sinful woman, that she would defile him by touching him. Simon had misunderstood who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And because Jesus didn't act how Simon thought he should act, that was enough for Simon to say, you're not a prophet. It must have been a big shock to Simon when Jesus picked up on what Simon had just said inaudibly in his heart. Jesus couldn't have heard what Simon had said to himself. And yet, Jesus responds to what he says. And he responds in a loving, kind, gentle way, but challenging Simon's attitudes at the same time. And leads Simon on a journey by telling him a parable and asking him a question. Simon, 
I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And, he said, and Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. This parable is as clear for us today as it was for those who heard it directly from Jesus. It crosses time and culture. And I expect that our response to hearing it would be the same as Simon's response. Firstly, we wouldn't expect a moneylender to cancel the debt of both people. This would be extremely unlikely. If anything, you would have thought that the moneylender would have tried to take them to court and they might have ended up in prison. There's no way they could pay their debt and that has consequences. So Jesus questions Simon, who will love the moneylender more? And Simon answers, I suppose it's the one with the largest debt. Jesus affirms Simon in this answer. And interestingly then, as he goes on to talk to Simon, turns to face the sinful woman. You can imagine almost everyone else in the room would be looking upon this woman in disgust at what she was doing, knowing her reputation, knowing who she was. That's if they could even bear to look at her. But Jesus does look at her, and he looks at her differently. Verse 44, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who can forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus, by highlighting what Simon didn't do, he didn't clean Jesus' feet. There was no kiss on greeting him. He did not anoint his head. And contrasting it with the woman's actions, Jesus is saying, you don't recognise who I am, nor do you understand why I'm here and your need for me. But this woman does. I think this is where Jesus' parable is key. It's showing that this woman knew she was a sinner, that she was greatly in debt, and that she couldn't make the repayments needed to be in right relationship with God. Not only would she have felt separated from God, it's likely that she would have been disgraced and shunned within her society and would have been shunned by her community. She knew she never deserved to be forgiven and there's nothing she could ever do to atone or to make right for her sins. She couldn't break free from the great debt weighing her down. She could not repay the debt of her sins. She was destined to be judged and found guilty. And yet Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. He revealed himself to her as the one who would cancel her debt for her and pay the price for her. No wonder why those who witnessed this and witnessed what was happening said, who is this? Who forgives sins? This is such an important question to ask. 
And if there's only one question that you engaged with from this morning, I would say engage with that. Who is this? Who can forgive sins? So they were bewildered and couldn't understand what had just happened. They knew the woman's debt and she couldn't be in relationship with God due to her sin. And yet Jesus declares, you have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Your debt is cancelled. You're free from it because I will pay the price for you. And I love you dearly. No wonder why this woman responded in such abandonment to her Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. She understood her debt. She understood that she was trapped in it. That there was no way out of it. Yet Jesus made her alive again. So it's her vast awareness of the depth of her sin being forgiven and paid for by Jesus as he loves her but leads her to love so much. Do you feel like you love much? Is it an all-consuming passion within you? Maybe we've forgotten the debt for debt that has been forgiven. Or maybe you haven't even put your faith in Jesus. And so you're still in that debt. I've never really been one to purposely recount my sins, to purposely go over them. I don't think that's exactly where I'm going to end up here. I have been one to preach the good news to myself on a regular basis. But I wonder if there is actually something in reminding ourselves properly how big our debt was. Is there something in actually sometimes recounting some of those things that we've done that separate us from God? Yes, I think we have to do that in the right way. But, but is there something where we can become comfortable with being saved? We can become comfortable with Jesus has paid the price. I can say, Jesus has paid the price of my sins. I am saved. It's amazing. It's glorious. But does it impact me if I don't remember what I've been saved from? So don't hear me wrong. I'm really not saying I'm going to go home and make a list of every single sin I've done and I need to go over that daily and dwell on that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we need to remember the full gospel and that is we were dead. We were in a debt that we could not pay but yet Jesus has made a way. If we take Simon, for example, in contrast to the woman, he appears to be spiritually ignorant, not aware of the depth of his own sin and need for a saviour, being more preoccupied with the sin of a woman than his own sin. This makes me ponder the question, who am I like? Am I like Simon? Do I make time for Jesus, take an interest in him and want to spend time with him? Do I try and live a holy life by following laws and regulations, but yet miss who Jesus really is and what he came to do? Or am I more like the sinful woman? Do I recognise my utter helplessness to change on my own? Do I recognise I'm a sinner and have fallen far short of the holy standard of God and there's nothing, absolutely nothing I can do on my own? And do I recognise I need Jesus Do I surrender my life fully to him with all abandonment, knowing he is the way, the truth and the life? 
So I want to leave you with two questions to prayerfully consider. Who do you think Jesus is? And who do you think you currently resemble from this story? So who do you think Jesus is? And who do you think you currently resemble from this story?